Okay, so tonight we are going to be wrapping up 1 Kings, the book. Topically, we did chapter 22, verse by verse, on Tuesday. It's a lengthy chapter. And we did, tonight we'll be doing topical. And as you come to chapter 22 of 1 Kings, We've been through about six kings of the northern kingdom of Israel after the divided kingdom, after Solomon died. And then Jeroboam led the ten tribes in the north, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, Judah, and the blended tribe of Benjamin with them in the south. And there's never a good king in the north, but there are some good kings in the south, about 40 kings total over about a 300-year period. And so we're just kind of plowing through this. But 1 Kings emphasizes those northern kings, as does 2 Kings. When we get to Chronicles... It emphasizes the southern kings of Judah. And there's, of course, crossover because the kings interact with one another, either for good or war or whatever could be going on. But this book primarily focuses on those kings of the northern kingdom. And so tonight we're, we're wrapping it up. But we, since we looked at Ahab so much last week in detail with lessons from Ahab, and Ahab has been a dominant figure for a northern king in the latter half of this book. And he really is pretty dominant in chapter 2. It's his 22. It's his death and his end at the hand of the Lord for all of his rebellion and disobedience. In chapter 22, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, the son of Asa, who reigned a long time, is introduced to us. Jehoshaphat also reigned a long time in Judah. So as neighbors, they're connected. Now, when chapter 22 starts, Jehoshaphat goes to the north to connect with Ahab, and Ahab says, hey, look, let's go attack Ramoth Gilead. It really belongs to Israel. Why do we ever let the king of Syria go have it? And there's been three years with no war, and say, okay, let's do this. And Ahab has all these false prophets that come up and say, you're going to have victory. And Jehoshaphat says, like, isn't anyone else that has an opinion on this? They bring in Micaiah. He says that Ahab is going to be struck down, and it's a bad ending for everybody. And so he gets thrown in prison or in jail for saying things that the evil king Ahab doesn't want to hear. And off they go to war, to battle. Jehoshaphat with his king's robe on. Ahab would camouflage, if you will, to not be obvious who he is. Like he's hiding from the Lord. And Jehoshaphat's like, hey, I always have victory at the Lord. Let's go do this. Because he always did have victory at the Lord. So one guy's going out with the confidence of the Lord. The other guy's going out terrified of the Lord. And sure enough, Jehoshaphat gets chased, but cries out to the Lord. The Lord delivers him. It says in Chronicles that he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord delivers him. But Ahab, he's like on the down low, and he takes like an arrow right between the armor, and he bleeds out that night looking at the Syrian sunset and the nation of Syria. And if you recall last week, we know that he let the Syrian king go, Ben-Hadad, who was appointed to death. And it's ironic that he died facing his failure on that last day of planet Earth. But I've had enough of the northern kings for this book, and I've had enough of Ahab. So let's look at Jehoshaphat tonight. And we'll pick it up with Jehoshaphat in chapter 22, verse 41, because the Holy Spirit gives us, in this historical record, a review of Jehoshaphat's life. So we have this detailed event that happened that I just recapped for you when he went to war with Ahab against Ben-Hadad for Ramoth-Gilead, and then that sets up the story or the summary of his life, because he randomly jumps into the book with no introduction This event happens, I just shared with you, and then you get the summary of his life. And because he's such a good king overall in the history of Israel, it's worth taking a look at what is said about him here in the back end of chapter 22. So in verse 41 of chapter 22, it says this. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. 
He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shili. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed, how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons, the Kadesh, those are the the gay prostitutes, who had remained in the land during the days of his father, Asa, he banished from the land. So he expelled them. He got them out. He's like, "That's, that's not happening. Verse 47, there was no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. It's an interesting verse that pops up in here. Verse 48, Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, like Solomon did, right? Solomon did the same thing. But they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezan Gabor. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So this is the summary of Jehoshaphat, this great king who got duped into this whole thing that preceded this synopsis earlier on in this chapter that we studied on Tuesday night in detail. Now, I want to read to you some things about Jehoshaphat's life from the book of Chronicles to shed light on what we just read about his life. Because tonight, we're, gonna, we're getting lessons from the life and legacy of Jehoshaphat. And I think, I believe personally, even though Asa's featured in the book of 1 Kings and Rehoboam is, for, is also featured in 1 Kings because they're kings of Judah, but again, the primary focus are those northern kings, that the fact that Jehoshaphat pops up here in this story before the end of the book He is, of course, a great contrast to the life of Ahab, who we studied in detail last week, lessons to learn from his failures. And so with this in mind, I want to really draw out the good things and the beautiful things from a a life well lived and just the human experience because we see it all in that summary. But quite a few, there's two or three chapters for his life in Chronicles. And in chapter 17 of 2 Chronicles, it talks about Jehoshaphat. And it says that, you know, he came to reign and that the Lord was with him because he walked. So I'm in chapter 17 of Second Chronicles, if you want to turn there. Uh, otherwise, you can listen to me. But he, now, the, verse 3 says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. So he's compared to the great King David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord, listen, because he was obedient, Verse 5 tells us, Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor and abundance. It's all the result of his obedience to the Lord. Verse 6 says, And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Man, he loved the Lord. He wanted to be at church. He wanted to be in fellowship. He wanted to be at the women's event. Or she wanted to be at the women's event. Or he wanted to be at the men's thing. They wanted to be at Christmas dinner. They wanted to be at, like, Woody's for breakfast with the guys. Like, that's... He was that guy. He, he, wanted, he wanted to be in fellowship and with God's people. He, he wanted to talk about the Lord. He was set toward the Lord. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. Now, we just read in Kings that he didn't. So evidently, there was a point in his career where he did remove the high places, but human beings, where they are, they're like, well, 
Yeah, you can close a liquor, couple liquor stores in your city one year, and then a few years later, someone else is on the city council, and they re put those liquor stores back there. We know how that works in the human experience. So evidently, something like that happened. But it says in the third year of his reign, verse 7, that he sent out leaders. And these leaders went out, and we're told in verse 9 that they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord. They went out with the books of Moses, and they taught the Ten Commandments. They taught the truth. They gave a standard by, of right and wrong for the people. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah, and they taught the people the word of the Lord, line upon line, precept upon precept, verse by verse. And it says in verse 10 of chapter 17 of Second Chronicles that the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms of the land, the surrounding kingdoms that were around Judah, so they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. This sheds light on us for Edom and the deputy being there in Edom, right? It gives us more insight to that. It gives us background. Also, look at this. After all we've been through with judges and the Philistines, look what this says. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute. I mean, we haven't seen anything like that, WG, going through this, the Bible verse by verse with the Philistines. Like, it's all-out war. Kill or be killed with the Philistines. This guy, obeying the Lord, this great king, it's like, hey, even if the Lord makes even our enemies be at peace with us. And in this case, that is the case. And the Arabians brought him flocks. Like, these guys are coming from far away. Here, have some sheep. Have some goats. 7,000 700 rams, 7,700 male goats. And so it says in verse 12 that he became increasingly powerful. He built fortresses and stored cities. He had much property in the cities, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. Man, he had a great standing army. He was just, man, he was blessed. Later on in Second Chronicles in chapter 19, it says in verse 4 that as time went on, he set judges, verse 5 of chapter 19, still with Jehoshaphat, it says he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, now think about this. Think about this right now on planet Earth, all that we've watched in the last three years. Think about this. He set judges in the land throughout the fortified city, city by city. He said, take heed to what you're doing, for you do not judge for man but for the Lord. Who is with you in the judgment? Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking bribes. Listen, there's a good time to be alive in human history in certain places and a bad time to be alive in human history in certain places. I shared with you before, it's ranked the worst time to ever live was to be a male living in Russia from 1880 till 1960. The worst time to be a male on planet Earth in the land of Russia from that timeline. Based upon wars, violence, health care, turmoil, civil wars, Red Army, White Army, Red Army, Stalin, Lenin. He just goes on and on. Khrushchev, the rest. This was a good time to be, a Jew, Jew, to be Jewish in the tribe of Judah in the southern kingdom. He would not permit the winking of the eye, the shuffling of the feet, and the shady stuff that people do. It's, it is saddening and grieving to see in our news when you find out now all this information where things were covered up, people were canceled, truth was canceled, and bribes were taken, and there's just so much more than what's presented to us. It's just, it's crazy. But that's not why you're here, because you don't come here to hear about that. But this is a contrast to that. This is what it's like when Jesus Christ reigns in the courtroom. This is what it's like when Jesus Christ is the Supreme Court, because he is the Supreme Court. This is what it's like. There is no 
politicking. There's no agenda. There's no bribes. There's no conspiracies. And listen, if we've seen this in our own country, and we have, the world sees a lot more of it. Proportionally, our country is the greatest of probably having the least amount of this. Most countries that get anything done, it starts with giving someone a wink and cash in an envelope. I always appreciate America that you presumed innocent before you presume guilty, although we see less of that. But isn't this beautiful? Like Jehoshaphat is an amazing king, and we just read in Second King, excuse me, First Kings chapter twenty-two, that he walked with the Lord in all of his ways, and he was blessed. And now we get this deeper. It's almost like when you read something in Mark's gospel, it's like three verses, and then you read it in John's gospel, it's a whole chapter, and you realize the beauty and the depth of what was being summarized in Mark's gospel. He warned them, and he said later on in verse 9 of chapter 19, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully with a loyal heart. Then he went on to say, No matter what's going on in all these matters, behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. See, this is our application tonight for the body of Christ. Because we're not kings of Israel, but we are people on planet Earth, and most of us here tonight would say that we represent Jesus Christ, and we're disciples of Christ. And really, you might say, we have a little teeny kingdom that's entrusted to us. Whatever our sphere of influence is, that's our little teeny kingdom. And whatever influence we have, this is who we can be. It's God who wills and works in us for his good pleasure. And Christ, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is always working in our life to make us like him, to bring him into the equation, and to bring this type of, this type of beauty isn't this beautiful? Like, if you really think about it, this is beautiful. What if you could go to Superior Court in Santa Ana every day of the week when all the jurors are waiting out front, because I've been in that group, maybe you have too, and people are lined up ready to go in and you clear security and all these things. What if you just knew, and you've got this small claims court, you've got a civil trial, a criminal trial, and you've got murder, and you've got people suing for millions, and, or little teeny things. What if you could show up knowing when you walked through that door and you saw all those historical photos on the walls of times past from 100 years ago in Santa Ana and the judicial system? What if you knew without a doubt 100% accuracy for justice in that courtroom? Wouldn't that just be beautiful? Well, that's what it's going to be like when Jesus reigns on planet Earth. That's what's coming. And we get to represent that. Not that we're judge and jury of anybody, but we represent whatever things are true, just, noble, praiseworthy, and honorable, representing the coming kingdom on behalf of the king until he gets here. That's a beautiful thing, that we get to serve the Lord, that we abide in Christ and we bear fruit for Christ. We, his word abides in us. We ask what we will, and he'll bring it to pass. What I'm saying is every one of us are a little Jehoshaphat if we choose to be. As parents, as spouses, as singles, with roommates, on a ship, at work, where we work in a corporation, where we work in a cubicle, where we work at a mini-mart, whatever our world is, this, if you show up at work, well, they say you always show up early, you do the job, you do it with a good attitude, and you don't go home until you're finished. That's the person that always moves up in the company. I think most of you know that. Well, you look at this guy, Joseph, as says, he walked in all the ways of his father. He did not turn aside from doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. His entire life is summarized that he did not turn aside. He stayed online. 
And, he, and we see he got pulled and pushed in different ways. His faith was tested when they were invaded from the south. And his faith was tested when he almost got killed in the battle there. With, talked into going to battle with Ahab. And this 32 kings on their chariots are coming after, or captains are coming after him. And he's like, oh, Lord. But like he was under the blood. He was the covenant. And his heart was with the Lord. We compared Ahab and Jehoshaphat on Tuesday night. And Ahab was doomed and it was self-inflicted. God said, I'm going to reveal myself to you two different times. And he did not respond. It's like walking away from a harvest crusade and rejecting the gospel. But Jehoshaphat, who was pursued and had the bullseye on him, he was delivered by the Lord because he had a heart for the Lord and he was under the blood of the Lord. And as I said Tuesday night, I say again, those with the Lord have peace, protection, prosperity, according to all God's plans that he has for them. That is what's promised for us. And Jehoshaphat had it. So you got all the blessings and God, it's not your day, it's not your time, and God protects you from 32 captains chasing you on their chariot, coming for you. Or you're fighting God, and you think you can hide from God, you camouflage yourself on your chariot, and you're not just mind your own business, you think you're getting away, then the arrow from the Lord just goes right there in your armor and pierces you. And then you bleed out watching the sunset on looking towards Syria. Get to think about taking Naboth's vineyard. Get to think about fighting Elijah, making other kings sign contracts so they weren't harboring Elijah. And you get to think about all that in your last four or five hours of your life before you step into eternity. He had every reason. He walked away from Harvest Crusades. He walked away from Pastor Chuck giving invitations, Pastor Brian Burson giving invitations, Joy Brand giving invitations, Raul Reese giving invitations. This Ahab walked away from all the opportunities to get right with the Lord to the very end. Brian McDaniel tells a story when he shared the gospel with a Jewish man in a parking lot in a near department. So I don't know how it came about. And the man rejected Christ one more time. And later, within five minutes, Brian McDaniel's on the scene. That man dropped dead of a heart attack right there. God sent Brian McDaniel to give this guy one more chance, like the thief on the cross, to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he rejected it. You see, when we choose Jesus, we choose the blessings And our life can be summarized as we let the Lord work, verse 43, that we don't turn aside to the right, to the left. And God is pleased with us. And as we saw the expanded commentary from 2 Chronicles, God is for us. We're for his word. We share his word. We bring his word. We speak his word. We live his word. And it's a blessing. We exhort people, why would you do that? Why would you you be corrupt like that? Why not do the right thing? Why would you think that way? I mean, most of you have had that situation where you told someone, like, why would you even think like that? God can't honor that. God's not going to bless that. That's going to put you in a bad place. Many times in my life I've said, do you know what this is going to look like when you stand before Jesus? you got to admire Jehoshaphat. This summary of his life is beautiful. Now, it, then it goes on to say, so that's the first point. He did what was right before the Lord. It's amazing, it's inspiring, it's encouraging, and I hope it can be said of us. Amen? Yeah. Well, that's, man, I, I want the Holy Spirit to say that stuff about me in, in my life when I'm in eternity. Hopefully he can say that about my life when I'm gone and you're at my memorial. But more importantly, that he says it about my life when I'm in eternity. Yes and amen? Yeah, the same for all of you too. Second thing, no, this is where I feel like the human experience really comes in. In this text... His relationship with people is listed in four variations that are very interesting to me. First of all, the people of Israel and the high places. Second of all, the steward of Edom. Then the, the king of Israel is mentioned and the gay prostitutes, the Kadesh. So like, you know, like you're, you're at a memorial and you got an open mic and someone gets up, hey, you know, like, dude, Pops was like this, you know, like, dude, how's that? 
That was crazy. Like, you know, dad, dad with the people of Israel as a shepherd, man, he tried with those high places, but you know, what are you going to do? They want to keep rebuilding them. Like, after a while, dad's like, whatever, it's your choice. And then dad with, you know, Uncle Ahab up in the north, because Ahab and Jehoshaphat were linked through in-law relationships in the family tree of marriages. There was a family relation, Chronicles tells us. Okay, so, like, you know, old Uncle Ahab, like, how's Papa Ahab? Remember when Ahab got to go out there and fight, and Ahab was struck down, oh, that's so heavy. Wow. But he made peace with, he made peace with Israel. Like, Israel and Judah were always at war. Like, hey, Dad, you know, Dad made peace with those guys. Good thing God had his back when he took on Ben-Hadad, huh? Oh, Oh, and Dad and the Kadesh, man, oh, my goodness. Dad and those guys, those guys, they just keep coming back. They're relentless. Those guys never stop. Grandpa Asa tried to drive them out, and he kind of did, and they all come back, set up their tents again. Those gay prostitutes, they're relentless. They They just won't go away. They are relentless. They don't stop. Hey, Dad dealt with it. There's some things Dad said, you want to build those high places, I'm not going to stop you. But these guys, I'm going to stop that. My grandkids are not growing up, coming to the temple, seeing these tents on the hill. That is unacceptable. And they can go do that down there with the Philistines in Gaza, or they can go do that with the Edomites down there in the Sinai Peninsula, whatever. But they're not doing it here. They're not welcome to do that here. They got to go. And you know, dad dealt with that. See, it's a summary of his relationships with people, how he was. And I think this is something we can all relate to. Because when you go to a memorial, people often talk about what the person was like in their interactions. And people get up on an open mic and they might talk about mom or grandma or dad or grandpa or uncle or a co-worker, or they inspired us with what they did in this ministry they started. This is, like, that's what happens. It's a life looked at through the eyes of different people who have a different perspective when they're looking at it from below. Now, the older you get, the less likely your peers will comment because they preceded you. My dad's in his 90s. When he steps into eternity, there are no, there's no one from his peer group when he served in the Korean War, the Vietnam War, when he was stationed in Guam, Okinawa, there, or when he got his master's degree at UVA, graduated from UW, was University of Wisconsin. There's no one around from that. His parents went around to talk about his life. Like, there's just, I mean, his brother's still alive. Maybe he'll come, maybe he won't. But, like, you, you can, you know, the older you get, the less likely you get, you get, you get more like the grandchildren. Like when Ethan Marcucci's mom was laid to rest a few months ago, the grandkids all got up and spoke, and it was beautiful. This is like an open mic at a memorial service for Jehoshaphat when you think about the perspectives of people. So his relationship with the people of Israel, he's a king. He's a governor. He's a mayor. It's constituents of the city. If you're the mayor of Huntington Beach, there's 210,000 people affected by your decisions. You work with city council, and some people are saying, vote yes on this, this, and this, and some people are saying, vote no on this, this, and this, right? Unless you do your homework, who can know? And the older you get, the more you realize they come, they go. Someone asked me, I'm not more political recently, and I said, well, listen, I'm twice your age. I've seen twice as many presidents, kings, queens, congressmen, congresswomen, city council, mayors, and let me tell you, they come and go. And I don't let them get me too riled up. And I don't need you to come to your church to have me tell you how to vote. You got a voter guide, you can do your own homework. I'm going to tell you how to live for Jesus and look for the kingdom who supersedes and is over it all. And we'll have the final say on it all. And don't get upset about these people. Don't put too much trust in those who are good 
and pray for them all. And don't let those that are evil bother you too much. Just pray for them all. Like God says to the New Testament, honor the king, pray for them all. Hope for the best. And just know there's a chariot of glory coming for each one of us in faith in Jesus' name. This is not our home. But he is a politician. He's over a lot of people. He's like a, he's like a CEO or whatever. Like he's the boss of something. He's over the youth ministry. He's over something. He's over a lot of people and a lot of money. And it says with these people that he, that, that we saw in Chronicles, Chronicles that he removed the high places. And here we're told they were not taken away. And I think in life we realize some battles just like I'm done fighting it. Like you try and help your adult children or your adult, your adult siblings and sometimes you're about 50 or 60, you just like, I can't do this anymore. They're going to do what they're going to do. And, you know, we wish them well, but that's just, you just get to the point where you're like, I, I, can't, I can't do this. Or the neighbors, like, they're just either, you know, we really have a couple of choices. Either pray that they'll move or we need to move. Like, that's it. I mean, life is short. You don't want to kill your neighbor. So what are you going to do? I spoke with someone this week that told me they moved because of a neighbor. I thought I was the only, I thought I was the only one ever did that. We sold our house in Costa Mesa in 2010 because the neighbor situation was just so horrible. And I was like, life is too short. I don't have to accept this. And we've had this for 10 years. And it has not gotten better. It's only going to get worse. And that's it. So you, you, you sort of pick battles in life. You younger people listen to me. You kind of pick battles in life as you get older. Is, is this my battle? Or is this what I'm willing to, am I going to die on this hill? What, what am I willing to do here? And I, I suppose at some point Jehoshaphat said, you know what? These high places were places of their own type of worship. It's kind of like I do church, but I do it on the golf course. I do church, but I do it in the ocean. The, in 1987, I used to tell people, you know, if the surf's not good, I'm going to come to church. Let me tell you, the surf was firing every Sunday for the first six months of 1987. It kept me from going to church. I mean, it was, I was like, no, it's all time again on Sunday. I think the Lord's almost doing this to keep me, like to test me or the devil's trying to keep me from church. I used to tell people, I do surf church. Or how many times you're in the water on a Sunday, the guys are like, this is my church, bro, at the cliffs, you know, they're in the longboard. I'm at church right now. Okay. That's kind of what the high places were like. You believe in God, but you're just going to kind of do it your way. Oh, I'm going to take a little bit of this and, you know, a little bit of that. And that's, that's what the high places were like. And Jehoshaphat's like, here's the law, here's the word, let's do this, let's come to the temple, let's, let's come together three times a year for the feast and all that. And, and after all, I was just like, you know what, you can only legislate so much morality, and if these people are going to worship on the high places, that's what we're going to do. But the Kadesh, they are definitely not going to be permitted in Jerusalem. You pick your battles, and you decide what really matters. Trying to make every single person not have a high place on the, the back hills of Judah or making sure that this influence doesn't destroy your culture, your family unit, and the perception of right and wrong amongst your people. So with the people of Israel said, all right, that's it. You, know, you let it go. He didn't remove it. Like, it's a hard thing to get the people, to get everyone to agree, like, this is not a good idea, and they just did it. And then you have the peace with the king. So this is another, so this is like Mary to Mary. This is like when the governors get together, like at a governor's convention, and decide, or speaker of the house. You know, it's like these are two political forces and we read on Tuesday night how he wanted peace and unity at all costs. And because there were people of covenant, he, he surrendered truths that could not be surrendered to have unity with Ahab. They were both in name Israelites. 
They were both in principle under the covenant of God, but one loved the Lord, walked with the Lord, taught his word, obeyed him and shined for him. The other one brought in Baal, married the evil woman Jezebel, brought in false prophets, false worship, had nothing to do with the Lord. The Lord tried to get his attention. He rejected it once, rejected it twice, and then he killed Naboth to take his property. They have nothing in common in faith. They could not have unity in faith. It was not possible for them. But he did seek peace because we know throughout prior to this time, the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel fought each other, the north and the south, like a civil war. But he at least had peace. So he established peace. And, you know, we go back to the New Testament where it says, as much as up to you, live peaceably with all men. He sought peace. You know, like, what are you going to do? He's a relative. They go to church. We go to church. Their church is different than our church. Let's just carve up the turkey and talk about Detroit Lions losing on Thursday. You know, let's avoid that conversation at a family gathering. That's what it's like. Let's have peace. But we can't really, we don't really have fellowship right here. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen for Thanksgiving. It's not going to happen for Christmas. It's not even going to happen for Easter. It's just like you think Jesus rising is cool and you've got the Buddha statue and your water fountain out front. It's like we just, we just don't. And you, you think all roads lead to heaven. We believe Jesus is it. And we're moved with urgency because the world's perishing. And you're just like, whatever, you know, it's all, we're all universalists, you know. Everyone's going to heaven. Well, I can have Thanksgiving with that family. I can have Christmas with that family. But I can't really have fellowship with that family. Early on when Jennifer and I were first married, both my parents drank. And um, it affected them quite a bit. Of course, my sister was an alcohol, is, is considered an alcoholic, I suppose. You know, she ended up homeless on the streets for five years because we're drinking and uh, pharmaceutical drugs, and she can't drink. She knows that. She's been clean for five years. My brother would be the first to admit drinking's caused him a lot of problems in his life, and we all know Planet Earth's better if Pastor Joey never drinks a drop of alcohol again since, since 1987. So it's good. Like, just, <laughs> like, it's just not there for me, you know? Like, it's just, No. But when Jennifer and I were first married, we'd go to these family gatherings. Because, of course, when you're married, you got this side of the family, that side of the family, and you know, all that stuff. We all know what that's like, right? So uh, my family, it, it would start good, but once alcohol came out, you just knew you are on the clock till it was going to go bad. And, you know, and then it would stay too long, and then it would go bad, and things would be saying, they shouldn't be said, and now mom and dad are Now, my parents were divorced, but they could hang out together amicably until they drank alcohol. And about 20 minutes after the alcohol was flowing, you know, then someone said something. It's like, here we go. You know, like they lived a mile apart from the time they were divorced. They lived a mile apart for 40 years. And I, I can't even explain it. I'm just glad we could still get together and amicably. Neither one remarried. But we learned we couldn't talk about the Lord in those situations because how they perceived it, especially when they're drinking, it just, it's, it's just the worst when you have relatives and they're drinking, like, oh, pray for the food. It's like, it's just so weird. You ever been in that situation? Oh, yeah. So what do you do? Live peaceably with all men. Okay, Lord, bless this meal. And you just, you can't, you just, you got to find that place where you're tolerant in it. You don't blow a gasket and you just, you just so, like, okay. But what we really learned is as soon as the alcohol started, well, we started moving things up to two in the afternoon because my parents don't drink in the day. But this time of year, it gets dark at five, right? Yeah, so, you know, like, you just, you learn. 
And you don't react to those situations. You proactively plan for those situations. So like, hey, it's time to go. You know, they're drinking, they're drinking. It's been five minutes. We, hey, we got 15 minutes, kids, pack it up. No, I want to play with Cousin Jimmy. You got 10 minutes with Cousin Jimmy. We got to load up. Because we've seen this movie, and we know how this works every time on the sequel. He made peace with the northern kings, which is more than anyone did before him. His mistake was trying to make unity, but there's nothing wrong with making peace and living amicably with people when and how you can, particularly relatives, which Ahab was married in relative to Jehoshaphat. And then the, the you know, the Kadesh is just like, what do you need to do? They just can't, bah, this is not happening. He's like, this is never going to be permitted. This is never going to be good. This, they got to go. And he, they, they had to go. And he, to his credit, he was, that's just never going to be accepted in my household, in my kingdom ever. Never. No, 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 no. And then, you know, that's, that's what he did. He, this is who he is. He had these relationships with these people under these different circumstances. Uh, and then, of course, the king of Edom, or the deputy of Edom, is also an interesting one because it says that, that he, there was a deputy of the king, so he had a relationship with Edom. This is interesting because we saw how the Philistines brought him tri, tri, you know, blessings, the Arabians, they brought him you know, all the sheep and cattle and all this stuff. And so he had someone in Edom that's a neighboring territory to the south that represented Judah's interests and is a good relationship. He had a favorable business relationship with him. He, he did business where he could. It was favorable. It's a peaceful border. Like a neighbor, you get along. You both take good care of your yard. <laughs> Right? Like it's always nice. You know, like, you guys respect each other. It's good. Everything's good. Everyone's happy. So I, I look at this, and, I, and these are his relationships with people under four different circumstances. The people in general that he led, the relative who's a powerful king to the north, the perverted persons who are there in Jerusalem, who are going to always want their way, and then this deputy that maintained the interest of his business ventures, his government ventures with a certain people, and it was favorable. So, you know, again, we talk about being a memorial and an open mic. People are going to get up and say, oh, I represented him and Edom as his deputy or whatever. The cadets could give, like, I banished us. He's so intolerant. He's such an evil king. You know, there's no love. And listen, everyone's got an opinion. Let God be true and every man a liar because this is the only one that matters. Light is light. Darkness is darkness. Let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, his relationships with humanity are summarized in this passage in diverse perspectives. And I'll say this. I think he just did the best he could. Right? Like he just did the best he could. The previous part of this chapter was his exposure of making a really bad decision. And we saw he had a business venture to go get gold and that didn't, that didn't turn out so well. He, he, he's like all of us. He just did the best he could. Like he tried the best he could to influence his employees and his co-workers to influence the family as best he could and not be influenced by them. He did the best he could with his business venture with these people and their joint venture interests and these people that were evil and were never going to go away. He did the best he could. And when you step into eternity, uh, when I step into eternity, you're never going to find perfection and there'd be plenty of people that come up and testify against me at my memorial if you gave him an open mic. He just doesn't this just show like how real he was? Like he just did the best he could. These are four details about his relationships with people. And they vary. He just did the best he could. And in Jesus' name, we're trying to do the best we can. Which brings us to the final thing. It says that there in verse 48 that he he made these gold ships, these merchant ships to go get gold, like Solomon did. 
So he probably read the biography on Solomon. He's like, I'm inspired. Listen, his kingdom's probably the best kingdom of all the Judah kings other than Solomon's. So he has every reason to dream big. He's like, hey, Solomon dreamed big and he did this. I'm dreaming big. What, what have I not done yet? I've not gone for gold and Ophir. I'm going to build a fleet of ships. And I'm going to expand my global trading partners. And I'm going to go get gold. Except it didn't happen. In Chronicles, it says that he made a partnership with Ahaziah, the son of Ahab. There's that family relationship again. <laughs> Old nephew, cousin Ahaziah, the cousin twice removed. Hey, let's do this. Let's go get gold. Let's, let's expand the kingdom. I mean, the Arabians bring us all the sheep. That's equity. That's, that's real wealth. You know, commodities, food, that's always in. Let's go get some gold because gold's the currency of heaven. Let's do this thing right now. It's God's currency. Yes. And as I was like, let's do it, Uncle. Uncle Jehoshaphat, let's do it. Let's build the boats. You do it. He's almost like his dad. Ahab, hey, let's go take on, you know, Ben-Hadad. He's just the next. And... We're told in Chronicles that God sank the fleet because he did it as a business partnership with Ahaziah. So you're wondering, like, well, was it bad luck, bad timing? You, you invested right before the 2008 economic crash. You invested right before 9-11. Like, is this bad timing? Was it bad timing for you? No. Was it bad timing because you had this business plan and COVID happened? No. No. God who loves you chastened you and sank your fleet. God sank his fleet. Thank God for his chastening. Yes and amen, right? God sank his fleet. There's no boat to float when it's contrary to your best interest. And be, it's probably happened after Ahab died because as I has mentioned next, you know, to let's do this. So listen very carefully. These are, these are closing elements on tonight because we see that he did what was right in the Lord. We saw that in detail. We saw his relationships with humanity. He just did the best he could. We can all relate to that. But here he received, this text tells us he received chastening from the Lord. And the Bible tells us whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You can't win them all. Henry Ford, a Ford Motor Company, he pretty much had the golden touch with all of his investments. I mean, how he did factory development, how he treated his workers, employees, revolutionaries, employees, all this stuff, the Model T, all that, and then how he built factories in Europe and all this, and the Germans marveled. If the Germans marvel at your production, you know you're impressive, okay? He even built plants for the Soviets after World War II, like, or, or actually after World War I for the Soviets. He, he had this whole idea that, in fact, it's called Fordism. It's actually a phrase, Fordism, from previous generation that the world used to refer to Henry Ford and the Model T production and capitalism. It was identified with American ingenuity and capitalism favorably. And he had this idea that if you produce everything in America, go figure. He had the idea that he made everything in America he needed for his cars he'd make in America and not depend, be dependent on foreign production. That's a fact. You can Google it. Wikipedia. But he felt like if you made something really good, you could export it to the world and teach them how to do it. And if you give them, if you help them be successful, they're less likely they're going to bomb you. So he had a vision that by leading the way in free enterprise to the benefit of our country, we'll show you, your country, how to do it so you can be as successful as us. And we'll have world peace through that. That's quite interesting. But it, and he was primarily very successful at everything he ever did. However, he had a couple of failures. 
And one of them was this whole uh, rubber plant idea thing in, in South Florida in Fort Myers years ago. There was a museum there for the Ford family in Fort Myers, but there's a failed business plan. And sometimes, you, well, you lo- you, losing's part of winning. If you're afraid to lose, you'll never win, right? You understand that. Like, losing's part of winning, especially economically. You just, there's just, it happens. Almost every extremely successful financial person, male or female, had great defeats before they had great success. And so I find it interesting to me, and this defeat, this chastening from the Lord. By the way, Henry Ford was Episcopalian. He walked four miles to church every Sunday in Michigan growing up. He's died in Episcopalian Cemetery. And his son died before him of stomach cancer during World War II. Not at the war, but his son was 49, and he died like in 43. His grandson, from his son, became his successor to the Ford Enterprise, established the Ford Foundation, which gives away billions every year from their trust fund to this day for the advancement of economic development in poorer countries. Which just goes to show we need a bigger vision. Like, we need a bigger vision for our life. Because the actual statement is for, like, uh, for the benefit of humanity and the, the advancement of humanity, but there's no Jesus in there. All the great things God wants to do through you and I in the name of the church, it's going to be Jesus Christ is going to be in that statement of our purpose. But you can't win them all. And when you study successful people, Carnegie, Thomas Edison, 10,000 failures, you just, these guys all hung out together too. Vanderbilt, all of them, these guys were all buddies back in the day. They lost. But this guy lost with the Lord, and that's the best way to lose. I've lost with the Lord many times. I've been severely chastened by the Lord. And it actually encourages me. I told you, Timmy got spanked more than anybody in our family. He deserved it more than anybody, and he was always relieved that he got spanked. Timmy wanted punitive damages for what he did. And the sooner he got spanked, the sooner he could just get his boots back on and go forward. And he's so close to his mom and I. Like, he, he loves us so much because we, we disciplined him. And that discipline showed him, the discipline was to correct him. And, sh- and it showed him how much his parents love him. And to this day, he knows that. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I remember my kids were younger. They'd ask me, well, who spanks you? I'm like, God does. That's who spanks me. Well, how do you know? Oh, you just know. Wait till you're an adult. He'll know. He'll know when you're getting spanked by, by the Lord. He will spank you. And you'll be grateful that he did. Like I say, the only thing worse, not worse, the only thing harder than being chastened is not being chastened. It's a proof of love. Jehoshaphat was chastened by the Lord. God sank his fleet. Think how much money he had invested. You know how much it cost to build a fleet? Peter the Great built the fleet as well, and a city, St. Petersburg. But, like, you build a fleet. I mean, like, you know, like, like, you created all this out of nothing. You had a vision for boats. You brought in boat builders. You probably brought in these guys from Tyre who know how to build boats. You built this whole fleet. You had this business plan. You're funding it economically. You got the bank loans. You're doing this. You got that. And you know, as I was like, I'm in, I'm in. I'll fund it too. You know, I'll be a 20% shareholder. And <clears throat> there goes your whole fleet. It's gone. But Jehoshaphat knew, because the Lord told him, that it was for doing business with Israel and going into partnership with them where light and darkness have no fellowship in this business venture, not to be, un- not to be equally, unequally yoked. But the beauty is that it says, after that happened, Ahaziah comes back and says, hey, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. In other words, let's, let's, hey, we failed once, we can redo this. We can do this. Let's build some more boats. Let's let my servants go with that. No, no, 
See, that's what we need to learn from chastening. We need to learn a lesson. And what I like about Jehoshaphat in this summary of his life, because this is the final thing said about him, God chastened him with the sinking of the fleet going for gold in the latter part of his life, because Chronicles tells us in the latter part of his life. And after that happens, we're told that Ahaziah said, well, let's, you know, let my servants, you know, come on now, it's too early to give up on this business venture. No, it's not. It's the right time to give up on this business venture. You know, if you study finances, they'll tell you, don't be married to the wrong idea. And the more emotional you get, the less, the more emotional you get with economics, the more your financial IQ goes down. You you just got to make the right decisions because of the right decisions. And when you've made a bad decision economically, time shows when you're married to it and you put your pride to it, it can get a lot worse. And in this case, as painful as it is to lose an entire fleet to go get gold and all the venture capital, it's even worse to try and do it again with someone a guy just told you don't do business with him. So he learned a lesson. So WG, body of Christ, let's be encouraged that when the Lord chastens us and corrects us for personal decisions, economic decisions, uh, relationship decisions, church decisions, whatever it might be, that, he, that we're not led by him and he corrects us, let's receive that chastening and embrace that chastening and learn the lesson from it. Because in the end, what do we say all the time? We want to keep growing in our journey. We want to keep growing. Failure is inevitable. Growth is optional. And we want to keep growing. And here we are in November. We're wrapping up the year. And this text reminds us, keep growing. We want to see a better version of you and me and this church on December 31st, 2022, than we saw on January 1st, 2022. That we've grown. Oh, we may not have grown numerically or in other ways, but when you look in the mirror... And you see that person that you can know, you let the Lord work in greater ways, and you have grown in your faith, in your obedience, your kingdom vision, and you're even more in for the new year 2023 than you were on the year you just finished. Yes, and amen.